This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have NBC's War Telescope as it aired on October 30th, 1943. The series was broadcast from London and offered weekly updates on the war every Saturday, as well as looking at what could be coming in the weeks and months ahead. War correspondent Elmer Peterson hosts and discusses the situation in Britain as the country prepares for winter. What they hope, and of course we know won't be, the last winter of the war. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. From London, the National Broadcasting Company presents War Telescope, a review of the war week and a forecast of possible developments to come. War Telescope features Elmer Peterson of NBC's London staff, a veteran reporter of the European scene. For his regular Saturday report, we take you now to London. This is Elmer Peterson in London. Here in Britain, we have the feeling now of moving forward quickly into the fifth winter of the war. The blackouts grow longer, more intense. By day, London emerges at its old, durable self, cold and dismal at times, but always solid and enduring despite its wartime scars. But nighttime is something else again. There are times now when darkness closes in upon us so tightly that life seems to lose all shape and substance. It's not pleasant, all this, but it has its compensations. For this is going to be a different sort of winter, and the British are moving into it with confidence and hope. There is a feeling here that we are on the eve of big events that this winter will be the last act in the tragedy of war that has played across Europe for more than four years. A feeling that this is the winter for which we have been waiting here, a winter of great demands on courage and sacrifice, but also a winter from which we will emerge with victory either won or so nearly won that only the finishing touches will be needed. You can find all shades of optimism on this point here in Britain now. You can talk to military experts who, mindful of all that may yet happen to interfere with victory, Nevertheless, are confident the war will be over by next spring. You can find people who have their hopes under such tight control that they grimly expect the war in Europe to go on for another year at least. You can encounter people here who confidently believe that the coming year will be only started by the time the German war machine and German morale explodes into the helplessness of defeat and unconditional surrender. And you can find those extreme optimists who are still sure that the war in Europe will be over by Christmas. At any rate, talk of the end of the war has become really open and actual here in Britain now. And it's not all on the hopeful side. You can find as much good, healthy skepticism as you can find optimism. Having had his bitter lessons in the possible upsets of modern war, the average Briton is reluctant to be too sure of anything. And as a London policeman said to me last night, it isn't just a matter of the war ending, but how it ends. For tired as he is of the war, and anxious as he is to get the war over with, the average Briton still has his concern about making the war mean something. The political twists and turns in Italy still leave a question mark 
in the minds of many people here. And yet the question, will the war end soon, is being considered. It's something that runs like a bright thread now through all the daily cloth of conversation. You can hear it in homes, offices, factories, and pubs. Each new development is being weighed against this question. President Roosevelt's announcement that agreement has been reached in Moscow, that the conference at Moscow has been a tremendous success, is an example of this. Some people here find it hard to believe, for the reason that they've heard so much about the difficult problems involved in agreement with Russia. But it's pointed out that success is a fairly relative thing, that much depends on how much you expected to come out of the conference, that much depends on how you share in the results to be announced. However, by and large, Mr. Roosevelt's optimistic view is being accepted here at face value. For the average Britisher, the mere fact of general agreement with Russia is tremendously important. It's something he has been waiting for, hoping for, something that brings into focus his great admiration for the achievements of the Russian armies. And so the British people, starting the fifth winter of the war, have now reached an important stage in the war effort as a group and as individuals. This island has become a thing of high voltage, an island being packed full of potential hitting power. What you sense here now is the manner in which years of preparation are bearing fruit, how events are building up to the final effort. Today, the British people read and hear of gloom and despair in Germany, of fatigue and strain in Germany, of Russian armies sweeping forward on a thousand-mile front, of German cities breaking under an avalanche of bombs, of preparations for days when Allied air power will smash at Germany from several directions at once. And living here in Britain, you find yourself with an absorbing interest now in what the British people are thinking. What about their own morale as the war in Europe turns into the home stretch? Why do they feel that the end of the war is in sight now? Are the new hopes here merely responsive to blaring headlines, or does it go deeper than that? Well, one answer would be that the British people realize in their own way that modern war is much more than soldiers and planes and guns. There are all the imponderable elements that go to make up effective defense or effective attack. All the things that can't be predicted in advance. The British have had their own experience with these things. They appreciate that modern war is a complicated interplay of civilian and military endeavor. At present, the British are being reminded every day that Germany still has several hundred divisions in the field. That German frontline morale is still good. That the Germans may still produce some remarkable surprises in the way of new and effective weapons. But having been part of a home front that did hold fast, the average Britisher has had a deep interest for a long time now in the German home front. He's been waiting for some positive evidence that the German home front is cracking, and he feels that he's now getting the sort of evidence he can accept. If the average Briton now believes that anything can happen soon in Germany, it's because he knows that Germany's divisions are no good if the home front blows up. And for one reason or another, he now expects that big things are going to happen soon on that German home front. But one thing is emphasized here in conversation everywhere, that the only real way of demoralizing the German home front is through military defeat, through military pressure, that Germany is going to break up inside in direct proportion to the extent of the military pressure put against her. At the moment, with the Red Armies rolling forward, with the result of a light air attack ever more apparent, Germany is under that pressure. How soon Germany can be defeated depends, therefore, on how far that pressure can be increased and whether it can be sustained. It's a matter of gaining a certain momentum in victory and holding it. The disappointment here over the slow progress in Italy comes from a feeling that if things had moved faster in Italy, we might have had an entirely different situation in the Balkans now. Fortunately, as one views the matter from here, this military pressure against Germany will be increased, is being increased, and will be sustained.
For the simple reason that the possible rewards now are too immense to let the opportunity slip by, to give Germany a chance to recover. The Russian strategy in this respect is fairly obvious. Anglo-American strategy is not too obvious at the moment, and for good reason. The Russians have less facilities, after all, for exploiting the psychological advantages of great secrecy. The British and Americans are using the element of secrecy, just as it was used in the invasion of North Africa a year ago. And what the British people appreciate behind their complaints is that a line has to be drawn between the dangers of starting something that may fail and starting something sure to succeed. And there can no longer be any question but what, what this has been discussed and agreed upon at the Moscow conference. And so one answer here in Britain to the question of when the war in Europe is going to end is this. It's going to end in a matter of weeks after the final allied strategy as agreed upon at Moscow is put into operation. The ingredients of this final strategy will include a complete new tactical air force operating from Britain. It will include a two-way bombing of Germany. New airfields are being constructed here in Britain so rapidly now that there's an acute housing problem for the personnel involved. New equipment is moved in so fast that there's a problem of where to put it. You can't go anywhere in Britain these days without being aware of these things. And it all goes to strengthen the belief here that the war in Europe is going to end suddenly. That it's going to end suddenly because Allied strategy is not merely concerned with eliminating each and every German division, but concerned also with creating a situation where those German divisions will be powerless to fight on. There's the matter of German transport as example and the coming air campaign to further dislocate Germany's supply lines, not least in the Balkans where rail transport facilities are meager and uncertain. German war production will be hit still harder, but the developing strategy of air light air power also is going to be to prevent German war supplies from reaching the front. In 1914, it's pointed out here, the Germans used 11,000 trains to concentrate on all fronts, over 3 million men and nearly 900,000 horses. Today, we have to count on motorized transport as well as railways, but the principle is the same. The final revelation of Allied superiority in the air is going to be the complete messing up of the making and transport of German supplies, both civilian and military. How long can the German people keep taking it? You can hear that question asked everywhere in Britain these days. You can hear people talking about it in the pubs. You can hear American soldiers arguing about it. You can read long articles in British newspapers about it. And it's well confirmed here that the German people are now sunk into an almost unbelievable apathy, especially in the bombed areas. That millions of Germans have reached the stage of not caring much about anything. Moreover, the German people are starved for pleasure, for some escape from the realities of war. Even here in Britain, it's obvious how the strain of war develops a search for pleasure. For the Germans, this desire for simple enjoyment of life is something that tears relentlessly at them now. And there are dozens of other demoralizing factors at work now in Germany. Also, there are more and more reports of moves in Germany to supplant the Nazi regime with a military government as the first step toward peace. Today, I saw a copy of a letter written by a German Gauleiter to his district leaders. A letter warning his district leaders that a move is on foot to overthrow Hitler, and warning that any such move would lead to civil war in Germany. A letter dated in September and vouched for here is true. And there's nothing unusual about evidence like this, that there are people in Germany who now want to get rid of Hitler. But it's also recognized here in London that the Nazi party still has command, that it will have command as long as the German armies are intact in the field and obedient to Hitler's orders. Where the breakup in Germany must come is through military defeat which will force, force the German generals to clash with the Nazi party. That's why the continuing set of the Russian drive and new manifestations of Anglo-American military strategy are being watched so eagerly here. The German people, from all accounts, will react to new leadership, but they must get that leadership. 
By a process of elimination, therefore, there's a tendency here in London now to concentrate attention on the German army. The Nazi party will try to hang on to the bitter end. That's obvious. The German people, without any machinery for expression of popular feeling as they had in the last war, can only wait and endure. It's up to the German army leaders to make the decisive move. And this is where the Nazis face a double problem within their own domain. They're working desperately to control the German people through endless propaganda meetings, through new disciplinary measures. But they must also control the morale of the German army in the face of coming defeats. And the German army has been developing its own contra-propaganda on this point. Some months ago in Sweden, I was told by Swedish travelers from Germany that German soldiers from the Russian front showed every evidence of having been secretly indoctrinated with anti-Nazi propaganda. These soldiers had one stubborn idea, that failure was not the fault of the army, but of the Nazi party. They were being coached to believe that the Allied air attacks on German cities, the sufferings of their families and friends at home, was the fault of the Nazis. In other words, the German army leaders had been carrying on their own propaganda campaign, preparing the German soldier to turn against the Nazis when the time comes. It's the basis of the German army's preparations to salvage itself in the face of inevitable defeat. And it raises the question here of how far we are prepared to accept anything like this. A question we have a right to assume that has been talked over at length at the Moscow conference. For we may soon see Germany in charge of a military government, a government supported by German industrialists, a government desirous only of getting the best possible peace. Already it's reported here the German army is beginning to flirt fairly openly with communist elements in Germany, no doubt in hopes of influencing Moscow. In due time, the flirtation will be even more open in the direction of Britain. The sudden German interest in exchanging British prisoners of war is not without its point. But it can be assumed, too, that the Moscow conference has drawn up in good outline the terms of German surrender and how Germany is to be occupied, regardless of how the German army tries to save itself. And the Russians have good reason to be interested in this. The German army leaders will try to make a deal in any direction. The German industrialists who will welcome a military government now would prefer occupation by Britain and America, and they'll keep working for this to the last. These are some of the reasons for the welcome hope here that we may soon see surprising developments in Germany, why we may soon see far-reaching changes in Germany which will raise problems of peace rather than problems of war. And that's Britain today as we start the fifth winter of the war here, hopeful, confident, with a lot of people who are very determined about the future. A Britain also that waits for the final grand slam of the war, prepared to pay a price while waiting, but confident that the Allies now hold the winning hand and that it's only a matter of time as to when the hand will be laid down, whether, in fact, the full hand will have to be played out. This is Elmer Peterson in London saying goodbye on this program until this time next week. You have been listening to War Telescope, a weekly report on the war as seen from London by Elmer Peterson. NBC's veteran observer in the British capital. Mr. Peterson is presented each Saturday at the same time over most of these stations. The program came to you from London and New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company.